0: To the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now here's lead pastor, Chris Starr. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was his name. And so Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place and then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Thank you. Keep that in opening. Keep your Bible. Open. You can have a seat, but keep your Bible because I'm going to be preaching straight out of this word and giving you truths today. So I'm having fun doing this series on marriage. And uh, today we're going to talk about the purposes of marriage. We're going to talk about the foundation of marriage. And so if you weren't here last week, um, we, 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 we we talked last week about marriage and whether it was a covenant or a contract. And Of course, it's a covenant. And so uh, if you missed that, I encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast uh, and you can kind of catch up with that. There's a lot of good material right there. But today, again, like I said, I want to talk about the foundation of marriage. I want to talk about the purposes of marriage is found in this, in, into this passage of scripture. Now, here's what I've discovered. It is amazing what people will do to find Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. I mean, the lengths that people will go. I heard a story one time about a man who boarded a plane. He got on the plane, he sat down, and as he's waiting for the passengers to all get on and the plane to take off, he looks up and here comes this, this spectacular gorgeous woman on the plane. And he thought, boy, is there any way possible? Could it be that she would sit with me? And sure enough, as if his prayers were answered, she came in and sat right by him. And he was like, wow. And he was captivated by this woman. Well, the plane took off and for the next 30 minutes, they talked to each other and they were sharing. And finally, he just couldn't help himself. He said, can I ask you a question? She said, sure. He said, I noticed there's not a wedding ring on your finger. He said, how is it that a woman as beautiful as you is not married. And she said, well, to be honest, I haven't found the right man yet. He, he's thinking, oh boy, here we go. Maybe I'm going to get lucky here. And, get, and he said, well, what kind of man are you looking for? And she said, well, she said, I like Native American men because they're tall, dark, and quiet. She said, I like Jewish men because oftentimes they're really, really good in business. And then she said, I like Southern men because they're macho with their pickup trucks and shotguns. And then she blushed and she said, you know, I really shouldn't be talking about these kind of things so personally. She said, I don't even know your name. And the young man replied, my name is Geronimo Goldberg. But my friends call me Bubba. If you don't get it, ask the person next to you and they'll explain it to you, okay? Okay. So we're talking about marriage today and we're gonna discover God's purposes for marriage from the original marriage of Adam and Eve. So we're gonna dive right in. Here's purpose number one. What is the purpose of marriage? Number one, the purpose of marriage is to provide lifelong companionship. Lifelong companionship. So I wanna set the context and paint a picture for you for um, uh, Adam. Adam is in the Garden of Eden. Now you have to understand he doesn't live in a house. He lives in an estate the estate is his home, and it is a tropical paradise. By the way, Adam, the Garden of Eden, was located somewhere in modern-day Iraq. Did you know that? Didn't know that. That's true. It was located in modern-day Iraq. And so Adam is in this perfect paradise. It has all the flora and fauna that you can imagine. Flowers, beautiful flowers, color, all the food he could eat. Every tree that God ever created is there in the garden, every kind of fruit, every kind of nut. He can eat, he's got all the food that he wants. There's a major river that breaks into four river heads. Two of them are the Tigris and Euphrates. That's why I know it was in modern-day Iraq. And so he has all the water to drink to supply him for everything that he needs. He has everything that a man could want in this environment. It is unbelievable. By the way, you may not have known this, but Adam was, it was unbelievably wealthy. And let me tell you why. The Bible says in the passages before the one we read that in his estate, he you know, like he's Ben Cartwright and it's the Ponderosa, okay? If you've never watched Bonanza. And so it's, it's this massive estate. I would say like it's the Kardashians and it's, I'm trying to find something that all you millennials can understand, but I don't know. So anyway. I don't want to talk about the Kardashians from the pulpit. There's nothing spiritual about them. But anyway, he's he's unbelievably wealthy. In the area where he lived, they they said that he had the best gold that God had ever created. There was a, a metal called Bidelium that was there, expensive mineral. There was onyx stones there, ladies. You know what an onyx is. So he's wealthy. He has all this wealth. Uh, on he's a wealthy landowner, if you will, if you want to put it that way. So he's just he's got immeasurable wealth. He has a job. He has the greatest job in the world. He's tending this garden. God tells him to tend the garden, take care of the animals. So he's got purpose men every day. Men like to work, you know, you find our identity in our work. Guys, he gets up every day. He's got a job, he's got a purpose. This guy has everything that anybody could ever want. And by the way, this is very, this is very important. He had spiritual markers in his life. The tree of, of, of life uh, was a tree that many scholars say that from it was the source that God used it to give him his life to live and the his. It was a source of kind of his spiritual life, connected him with God. Scholars think that if he would have eaten the fruit of that tree, he would have lived forever. But he didn't. There's also the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now we say, well, that's not a good tree. Well, it isn't and isn't. It isn't a good tree because he wasn't supposed to eat the fruit. It was a good tree because it provided a moral barrier for him. So he has spiritual markers in his life. So this guy has the spiritual markers. He walks with God every day. In the cool of the evening, God comes down. He's got it all. And yet... The guy who has everything that you could want and everything you can need is totally unfulfilled. And here's the reason why. He was lonely. It was Adam's job to name all the animals. And perhaps as he was naming each animal, he noticed that every animal had a mate and he did not have a mate. And so God said something that it was the first time God said this phrase, it is not good. Everything else in Genesis chapter one is it's good. In the first day, God created light, and God saw that it was good in the evening, in the morning, were the first day. Second day he separated the firmament, firmaments, and the heaven from the firmament, and in, in the second day, the second day, even more in the second day, God saw that it was good. Every day everything's good. Good, 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 good. Now, for the first time, God sees something that's not good, and here's what he says: it is not good for man to be alone. And this is very true. Psychologists tell us that if you are alone, it is easier to be selfish. It's easier to be immature, given over to addictions, and blind to the needs of others. If you are alone or lonely, you don't have to adjust yourself to someone else's rhythms, someone else's needs, someone else's demands, so you're not learning how to socially function or relationally function with other people. Finally, I think God's saying it is not good to be alone because inherent within all of us is a desire to connect with other people. We are wired to be social. So God says, it's not good to be alone. he says, you know what? I'm going to fix this. And in verse 18, he says, I'm going to make someone special just for Adam. Just for Adam. He said, I will make him a helper comparable to him. So this is going to be someone. So Adam, he puts Adam in a deep sleep. So for all of you in the medical field, first time we have general anesthesia. (laughs) And so God puts him under and then he does surgery on him. First time we have surgery. And he takes out a rib. And from the rib, he makes Eve. Now, something you just want to notice here that I'm going to come back to later. Uh, God formed Adam from the dust of the earth. But he formed Eve from the rib of man. Okay? But I'll show you there's some significance there. And so he creates Eve and then presents her to Adam. Now, when I was studying for this message and I got to this point, it reminded me of an old joke that I'm going to tell because y'all need to laugh. Because I'm gonna get pretty stern here in a little bit. So here's the old joke Adam was lonely. God said, I'm gonna make you a companion. And here's what he told him He said, I'm gonna make you the most beautiful woman in the world. This pretty lady's gonna cook for you, clean for you. Every time you have an argument, she's going to be the first person to admit she's wrong. When you discover clothes, she's going to wash your clothes. She's always going to compliment you. She's never going to nag you. Anything you want to your heart, she's going to take care of you, tend to all of your needs. He said she's going to give you freely, give you passion and love anytime you want it. And Adam's like, man, this sounds awesome. And then he said, wait a minute, what's this going to cost me? God said, an arm and a leg. (laughs) And Adam said, what can I get for a rib? (laughs) Sorry, ladies. Bad joke. I pick on the men a lot, so that's your only one, okay? So let's get serious. God created Eve, listen to me now, this is very important, not to be a possession, not to be a servant or slave, but to be his wife. Now I'm going to talk to the people this morning who are not married, but you want to get married. If you desire to get married, I believe God has someone special for you. I really do. And, and I think your job is to trust God and let God bring that special someone into your life. We used to joke because there are people who say, I believe there's the one special person. There's just one and you can't miss it. Well, there's a problem with that. If there's one special person and I miss it, now I've blown the whole paradigm because I've married somebody else's special someone. So then they're going to marry somebody, but that's somebody else's. And the whole thing just collapses like a stack of cards, house of cards. So I don't know that I believe that. But I do know that God in his foreknowledge knows who you need to be. He knows you. He made you. He formed you. So he knows who would fit you best. So what do you do? I think, first of all, you ought to make a list of what you want in a spouse and refuse to compromise so write down what you want now. Don't make a list of some perfect person that is impossible to find. You've got to be realistic. But write down what you're looking for in a spouse, and then don't compromise. Stick with the list. Then next, pray and ask God to connect you with that special someone. How many of you believe God's interested and concerned with who you're going to marry? And I, you want to? I prayed when I was when I was uh, young and single. I was praying God send me the right person. Okay. And, and so you want to pray. And then um, the next thing is trust God. And this is a big one. Be patient. Be patient, okay? You got to wait. Say, Pastor, my biological clock is ticking. Well, that's okay. Let it tick. It's all right. Trust God. God's in control. Let God handle this. And listen, here's the big one. Refuse to date ungodly people. And don't be unequally yoked. You can't do that. The Bible says, do not be unequally. So you can't, and listen, we don't believe in evangelism dating. Pastor, I know, but I know, I know, I know he's a serial killer, but pastor, I believe I can win him to the Lord. Okay, we don't believe in evangelism dating. All right, you don't, you don't date them or marrying them, hoping to win them to the Lord. If they're not going to change now, they're not going to change later. Okay, so make your list, trust God. And let me just give you a list and you can find this, you know, if you want to take your, Camera and take a picture of the screen, you can, but if you go to the High Praises app, th- this is on the High Praises app. And I think this is a great list that's that some of you need to get. How do you know if a person is the one you should marry? Here's the things I'm gonna share with you. Number one, you ought to feel a sense of amazement. You ought to look at that girl, that guy, and go, Wow, wow, she is just you ought to think about him or her. It, they ought to be on your mind all the time. You're just wow, you're just in amazement. there ought to be a wow factor. Okay. Second, it's like that commercial, you know, like. Uh, how, how, what do you think of Dr. Sones? Oh, he's okay. Did <laughs> y'all see that commercial? You, you don't want a doctor who's okay. <laughs> okay, he walks in the room and says, got reinstated this week. That's not the guy you want to do surgery on you. Second, feel a sense of belonging to each other. I'm gonna put the third one with it. Know that you're meant for each other. You just got that feeling. We belong together. It just, just, just seems like, like, it's just every time we talk, it's just like we belong together. You, sense that God has arranged this. If you don't have peace in your spirit, Break it off. Break it off. Then experience a willingness to share and be open with each other. That's so critical. And so if that person is not open with you, if they're holding back from you, listen, you can't build a marriage on that. All right? You say, what I do? You, you break it off. Now here's the problem. If you got your heart involved. It's harder. The longer you're with somebody, your heart gets involved and it hurts. But if that person will not share and be open with you or they're holding back things from you, ask them things and they won't tell you, Look, if they're not gonna tell you now, they're not gonna tell you later, all right? Thank God at least got one amen. I couldn't get first service to amen me on nothing. <laughs> Third, or next, know in your heart that you will love each other no matter what. You gotta know that person's gonna love you no matter what, okay? And then next, be willing to give yourself totally to each other. And this gets back to what I talked about last week, the whole covenant concept. I'm in this 100% for you. And then finally, this is really important. Listen to your parents, pastors, and closest friends. Okay. Oftentimes, when I'm meeting uh, with couples who are wanting to get married, they want me to perform their ceremony. So I have a preliminary meeting with them, uh, an initial meeting, and as I'm talking, I'll throw this in. I'll say to the one, I'll I'll say, "Well, how do how do your parents feel about him? Oh, they love my fiance. They love him today. They they love him like a son. How do your parents feel about her? Well, they they say they can't stand him, but I'm gonna marry him anyway." Okay, you don't get much of that, but if that happens, that's a red flag to me because your parents love, now if you have functional parents, now sometimes I know there are situations you got bad parents, except I'm not talking about it. If you have loving, functional parents with a healthy relationship, you have a healthy relationship who love you, have spent their entire lives raising you, taking care, preparing you for this moment, okay? And if they say, uh, honey, I'm seeing things that you ain't, you're too blind to see them, but can't you see this? You need to listen to your parents. Ask your pastor. Your pastor sees things. My dad is here this morning. I've heard dad tell the story many times. He had a lady in his church, a young girl in his church, was dating a guy. This guy had her fooled. She was going to marry him. And my dad took the initiative, went to her, sat her down and said, listen, there are things about him you do not know. You're not seeing. And she, he exposed that guy, told told her the things. And she was like, thank God you told me I would have made the biggest mistake of my life. And she broke it off with him. And that crazy nut got mad, got drunk one night and came up to our house and wanted to fight my dad. And I love the story because I'm going to tell you a story, Dad. And so you can't, if you preach again, you can't tell this one. And so Dad, dad said he stepped out on the porch and said the Holy Ghost came on him. He said, man, I believe I could have broken him one arm. And Dad went out there and he was drunk. So Dad just let him push him around, you know, and he's, he just, Dad would hold him off, let him get out of the system. And, and then eventually the guy left and the police told him, could, well, guess what? He, he, his brother was going to be deployed to Germany and he called my dad and he said, can you pray with me before I'm deployed to Germany? He said, and he said, can my brother come? It was that guy. And my dad said, tell him to come on. And he got in our parchments, knelt on our couch and my dad led him to the Lord and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. Isn't that great? What a story. That's the power of Jesus Christ. Okay, so listen to your parents. Listen to your closest friends, okay? Listen to your friends. They know you best. So that's purpose number one for lifelong companionship, okay? Number two, here's purpose number two for marriage that we learned in the original marriage. It's to have someone to do life with. Someone to do life with. So God said, I I will make Adam a helper comparable to him. Now, I want you to listen to this. This is very, very important, and I'm gonna get a little stern, okay? I, I, I got my jean jacket on, so I feel fly today, and I'm like, I'm like, for like a thug today. So, nah, I'm just kidding. I'm joking. That's a joke. But I'm going to get stern. Okay. I'm going to operate in pastoral authority. Are you all ready? Okay. So I'm going to be doing that in just a minute. I'm going to prep you. But I'm going to say some things, and I mean it. I mean it too. Now listen to me. I mean it. I'm a 53 year old man of God. I mean what I'm about to tell you. Here's what the Bible says, and literally in the Hebrew, it's God has said, "I'm going to make a helper corresponding to Adam, who is equal to him and suitable for him." Now that's a, that's what the original language means. A, a, a helper suitable for him, equal to him, corresponding to him. So listen to me, just because God took Eve out of a rib doesn't mean that she was inferior. Never in the Bible do we ever see where Eve was inferior to Adam. Women, you've had a hard row for since the beginning of time. I mean, up until the last few hundred years you were nothing more than property or chattel. And you and be honest, I'm gonna be honest now, because I've traveled the world. Uh, ladies, you ought to be thankful you live in the US of A because you have rights and privileges here and freedoms that there are lots of other places in the world they don't have. And you're treated in a great way here. And sometimes I get a little myth because it almost seems like there are certain groups that are pushing, pushing, pushing and make us men feel horrible. And yes, I know there are abuses. Yes, I know there are men who do things and misogynists and all that. I don't wanna get into all that. I'm telling you, I can take you parts of the world but being misogynist is the entire culture. Okay, where you're nothing, you're not, you don't have any right or say or so. That was never the case. That's not how it's meant to be. And by the way, Christianity has always elevated the position of a woman. Good preaching, pastor. They're not going to help me, but I'll help you out. Praise God! You preach, okay? So here's what you understand: She was never in Now, the reason I want to talk about this is because in 30-something years of ministry, I have encountered men, and I've got names and faces in my head right now. I have encountered men who, somehow, I do not know how this happened to them, but they got it in their minds, and they're mistaken that a woman is nothing more than a doormat. And then they got married, so they thought the same thing of their wife. My wife is nothing more than a doormat, and I'm gonna command her, and I'm gonna control her, and she's gonna do what I say. Now, let me tell you something. That's not of God. It's not. It's not of God. God never, you don't see that in the scriptures, and that is not of God. A husband should treat his wife as his equal. If you treat your wife like that, that's not a wife. That's a slave. So you should treat your wife as your equal. You should love her. You should respect her. If you're smart, you will value her talents, her intellect, her feelings, her ideas, her thoughts, her dreams, her achievements. And listen to me, you never talk down to your wife. You don't talk down to your wife and you don't try to control her. I've heard stories about guys that were unbelievably insecure and they tell their wife, now when we go out in public or we're in a place, you have to keep your head down. I better not catch you looking at another man. Now, that, that's stupid. That's idiocy. It's creepy, man. You don't do that. Nobody normally does that, right? You don't do that. That, that, that. That's just, that's weird, okay? And it's controlling. And your wife doesn't have the problem. You have the problem because you're the insecure one. You're the one that needs to go to counseling. You're the one that needs to confront some issues in your life because of your insecurities, and so you don't do that with a woman. And and you don't control her. You don't talk down to her. And it, let, me, let, me, let me just say something to you today. And this is where I'm going to be authority. If you do that privately, you in your home, you think you're all big and bad. Let me tell you what you're doing. You're demeaning your wife. You're breaking her down and demeaning her. Let me tell you what. Let me just explain to you human nature. Your spirit is either open or it's closed. And in a marriage, with a covenant marriage, you want to keep each other's spirits open. Are you with me on this? Okay, but when you say and do things, especially of that nature, you're commanding, and you're controlling, and you're mean, and you're harsh, and even if you're physically abusive, which is never acceptable, by the way. Okay, never acceptable. Physical abuse is never acceptable. In this church, I'll always side with the victim. I remember Pastor Johnson. He had a lady in his office. She had been in our Church of Praise Cathedral. i never forget this. And she was telling, she my husband, she said, sue him. He looked at her and he said, I got to answer. Sue him and take him for everything he's got. Leave him. That's what he told her. I think she took him up on it, if I remember. It's unacceptable. Man doesn't hit a woman. You're the, she's the weaker creature. And if you have to hit a woman to prove you're something, you're not much of a man. You're not. And you're surely not a man of God. You're surely not a man of God. So if you do it in private, it's demeaning. Here's what you do. You crush, you close her spirit and you do it enough, you'll crush her spirit. And then you want to get all lovey-dovey and wonder why she won't respond. And let me tell you this, and this is where I'm going to tell you, and I mean this with all my heart. You do it publicly and I'm around, it's going to embarrass the fool out of me. It's going to embarrass the fool out of anybody else around here. And I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to say everybody else, excuse me. And I'm going to tell you, you come with me. And I'm going to take you aside. I'm going to look at you and say, what in the world do you think you're doing? You just embarrassed the daylights out of me. I'm your pastor and you're one of my members. What are you doing talking to her like that? You just embarrassed her. You better never do it again. And you better never do it again in front of me. You say, well, you're all big and bad. You better believe I am in the authority given me by God Almighty because God won't, listen, you won't talk to any of my other members and treat them like that. Why would I let you do that to this member who happens to be your wife? They amen me in this one. I couldn't get the last service to amen me for nothing. Here's what Gary Smalley said. Listen to me, man. Here's what Gary Smalley said. Treat your wife as if she had a sign on her head that said handle with care. Handle with care, okay? So here's what we learned. I want to show you something deep. Everybody okay? Everybody take a deep breath. Y'all getting nervous when I get authoritative, but I'm here to, I use my authority to edify, not to tear down like Paul said. So here's what we learned. I want to show you something. This is really rich. Y'all ready? When I read this, here's what I understand. You want someone comparable to you. So if you're looking for a spouse, you want someone comparable to you, okay? So I'm gonna help you today. And if you're already married, this is gonna help us. Comparable. Here's what Adam said. She is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Eve was taken out of Adam. So it was the same material. There was a connection there. there was similarity because she was taken out of him. So when I talk about you want somebody comparable to you, you want somebody who shares your similarities. Okay, so you have a similar worldview. You have a similar church view. You have a similar God view. If you don't, there's gonna be conflict. And you want to share the same ideas about parenting and how to discipline your kids and finances and every other thing. There should be similarities in your views. Um, you definitely want someone who is comparable to you spiritually and yes, religiously. Now I'm gonna tell you about me and Leah. When Leah and I started dating, we spent a lot of time together and we did like everybody else. We're talking about everything. We had similarities. She's a preacher's kid. I'm a preacher's kid. You know, her dad's pastor. I'm a pastor. and So we had all that. But I'll tell you what I knew it was getting serious because we were talking and I said one day to her, I said, I hate onions. They make me gag. She said, I hate onions too. And I thought to myself, this woman's wonderful. And another time we were talking and I said, you know, I said, I'm gonna tell you something. I said, I like tomato juice. I like tomato sauce. I like tomato paste. I like ketchup. I can't stand a tomato. She said, I'm the same way. And I thought to myself, I'm going to marry her. She's nodding her head back there. It's true. I thought I don't even have to love her. I'm just going to marry her because we can eat the same. You got to be similarities. All right, now watch this. So comparable. But watch this. Ready? But yet complimentary, complimentary. Now, now, let me show you from the scriptures. So she's bone of my bone, flesh in my flesh, right? We're similar. But then he said, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Woman. So he didn't call her man. He, he didn't want to marry somebody like him. He understood that she was complimentary to him. So ish, man the Hebrew, Isha, woman, is different. So, see, there's a difference, man, woman. So, there's a difference. Okay? So, why the difference? Because they complement. Eve complimented Adam, Adam complimented Eve. So, you say, how, Pastor, how's that play out? You need somebody who compliments you in such a way that their strengths complement your weaknesses and your strengths complement their weaknesses. That you are a team and you pull it. When I have teams, just in work, Okay, here's, here's what they, the, 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 in leadership, they'll tell you, you don't want a team where everybody has the same personality and the same giftings. because And you say, well, everybody will think the same. That's the problem. You need people on the team. You want a variety on your team. You want people that are creative as well as the people who are very systematic and, 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 and you want people that are in touch with their feelings and then the people who are, who are just scientific and they has to be A, B, C, one, two, three. You gotta have all of it. And as a leader, I've learned that you can't let the extroverts do all the talking because they'll talk all day long. You have to shut them up and look at the introvert who's very creative and say, I want to hear what you have to say. And they'll just come up with this unbelievably creative idea. See, so you got to have variety in leadership and on your teams and business, everything. It's especially true in a marriage. You want somebody that will compliment you. Um, here's the thing. When Leah and I dated, uh, uh, well, I'm going to go back. Uh, Leah, you probably forgot this. When, when Leah Leo had already gone to East Coast Bible College, and so she had been there a year, I was still at USC Upstate and was working at UPS. And one night I got with some of my friends and we went out to eat. Well, John Day came down from East Coast. You remember John? So John comes down. First time I met John, later he became one of my really, really good friends. But I didn't know who John was. So he came down. We had mutual friends and he was down visiting. So we were all hanging out, having fun that night, doing stuff together like older teenagers do. And the longer I was with John, John finally looked at my side. He said, there's a girl you gotta meet up in Charlotte. I'm thinking, Charlotte. I said, okay, who is it? He said, her name's Leah Talley. I said, really? I never heard of Leah Talley. He said, oh, yeah. He said, you two would be perfect for each other. And I'm thinking to myself, well, she's so great. Why don't you go date her? <laughs> I did I actually thought that. I thought, she's so great. Why don't you go date her? You know, I didn't know who she was. Sorry, babe. I, mean, I didn't. And so uh, anyway, then I get to East Coast, and, and we fall in love. We start dating. And here's what happened. All of our friends looked at us. They said, we knew it was going to happen. We, you two are meant for each other. All of our college friends told us that you're meant for each other. And I remember my, my mom was looking at me one day. We were talking because we were serious. And my mom, of course, she loved Leah, but she, mom made the comment. She said, I'll tell you something else about Leah. He, she said, with, with her talent and her upbringing and her mindset, he, she, she's gonna be a compliment to your ministry. You two are gonna minister together. And, and, and I don't even know if you remember saying that, mom, but you know, mom was talking about how I, she's, you're gonna, she's gonna be good for your ministry. So that's the thing is you compliment one another, Okay. Why? Why do you need somebody comparable to you? Why do you need somebody complimentary to you? Because together, you have this unbelievable relationship that, that helps you to, 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 to have, find strengths and work together as a team, and then you can do life together. You want to do life with somebody that you have similarities with. You want to do life together with somebody that can help you in the areas. Listen, Leah helped me so bad. I was a worst dresser in the world. you remember that, babe? When she first married me, I was, a, I was horrible. I was not a good dresser. I mean, I was like, okay, but you know she's like you got to you i like i never had a pair of khaki pants i always just wore blue jeans honey you got to get a pair of khaki jeans come on we're going to jeans i mean quick khaki pants we're going to the store you're gonna buy khaki pants i've been the first time put on khaki pants i mean i just had to learn how to you can help each other i didn't have to help her at all because she's perfect (laughs) forgive me lord By the way, if you weren't here last Sunday, we're going to celebrate 31 years, June 4th, yeah. 31 years. If you weren't here last Sunday I, at our 18th anniversary, I said, babe, we've been married 18 years. She looked at me. She said, that is entirely too long to be with the same person. <laughs> Purpose number three is to have someone to be intimate with someone to be intimate with. You find this in verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and that shall become one flesh. Now, I know that the whole two should become one flesh. If you just look at it at face value, then what seems to be the obvious meaning is that two human beings come together, and there's a sexual union, a a consummation of marriage, and then that which happens afterwards, and for the purposes of child conception as well as as, uh, pleasure and intimacy, okay? So that's just kind of the obvious meaning. I try to use really fast, quick terms because we we let kids come in here. Um, So anyway, we'll let that go. Hopefully they didn't catch it. And if they, and if they got the word sex and and your kid ever asked you what's, what's sex and you start freaking out, just say a man is a male and a woman is a female and that'll fix it. Trust me. (laughs) So yeah, that's the primary meaning, but there are two other strong meanings that I want you to know today. Number one, two shall become one flesh means your marriage relationship should take precedence over all previous and future relationships a man leaves his father and mother. And I talked about this, so I'm not going to talk about much of this, but I talked about this last Sunday. Let me just reiterate. You leave your parents. And I have seen couples, one, one, one or the other, stay really, really close to their, usually, but a lot of times it's a, it's, a, sometimes it's a, sometimes it's a guy with his mother. Sometimes it's a woman with her mother. And it's not often the father, but sometimes that happens too. But usually it's with the mom. And, he, and he, treats his, he treats his mom like he's treating his wife. Sometimes he prefers his mother over his wife. And that's not the way really it's supposed to happen. You leave your parents. You leave your father and your mother and cleave into your wife. So the concept is you're starting your own family unit. So listen to me, your, your priority becomes your wife or your husband. And then the kids come along. And I've, and I've seen parents, and, and a lot of times it's a mom again, who, who is just a wonderful mother. But she comes to consume the kids at the neglect of her husband. And this goes on for years, all the way through the teen years. Now, here's the problem, and statistics will prove me out, is that when the last teenager leaves, that the husband or wife, one or the other, who's been neglected, looks at the spouse and says, okay, the kids are out of the house, I want a divorce. And it's because they never stayed connected. And so you have to stay connected. And by the way, let me tell you just a couple other things. Uh, Guys get married, but they're used on every Friday night. They went out with their buddies. So the first, three, first month of marriage, every Friday night, they're out. Hey, honey, I'll be back. I'm going out with the guys. And you just left your brand new bride at home sitting by herself? Not smart. Not smart. Or, honey, I'm going out with the girls. My, my, best, group, my best friend, my best girlfriend, she called, and she wants to go out tonight. We're going to go out, and it's Friday night, and you leave them at home? Don't give her Friday night. Give her Saturday morning. See if you can get her out of bed and have, have breakfast. But if Friday night's date night, it was always date night, keep it date night. Okay, amen, pastor, there they go. But pastor, you're spot on, keep it up, I will. Here's the second meaning that's beyond that first meaning. So your marriage relationship should take precedence. Second, emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, financially, and in every other way, you and your spouse become one unit. Two become one, you become a team. Now, you know, I love leadership, that's kind of my niche. Let me tell you about leadership. If you have a leader, you got to have followers, right? And so you have to have a group. All you have to have is two people to have a group, right? Two people. So a marriage is a group. And I understand that in a group, somebody has to be the leader. Somebody has to be the leader. And I'm just going to tell you today, theologically, this is my theology. From what I understand the scriptures, there are two particular roles or responsibilities where God has mandated that the man is supposed to be in the leadership. Everything else, it can be man or woman. If you want to be the CEO of a company or prime minister of a country or president of the United States, but these two, in the home, if you have a godly husband in the home, he is supposed to be the spiritual leader. And guys, let me tell you something. Women want a spiritual leader. They don't want to be the one always having to say, get up, it's Sunday morning, we got to go to church. That's your job. They don't want to be the ones trying to get the kids up and you're just sitting around drinking coffee. You ought to be the ones telling those kids, get up. I'm going to beat you back black and blue. We'll take you up front and pray for your healing. Get out of that bed right now. Okay, church is where you're going to need to be. When I get through with you, get up. I don't care if you're tired. You're dumb enough to stay up till two, but you're going to church if you have to sleep your way through it. Right? That's your responsibility is to take the lead. Okay? The second one I believe is in the pastoral role. That's just my theology. Okay, in the pastoral role. And I'm talking about the lead pastor when I have responsibility over church. And I can show you from Scripture that if you ever want to talk about it. But my point is, now, people say marriage, here's what I'm saying all that. People say marriage is 50-50. In reality, it's not. It's, 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 it's 51-49 or 55-45 or 60-40. Just pick one. And you say, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Well, let me explain. If you're smart, sir, you're a godly man, you're the leader of your home, anything you do, you're going to sit down with your wife, you're going to talk about it. Okay, always talk about, especially money. Now, I went and got my new boat this week, hallelujah. But y'all laugh because, I, but you know, I told you last week, first thing I did is I called Leah. You don't go make a major purchase. Do not go out and buy a $40,000 car and drive it home and say, babe, look what I got. <laughs> that ain't gonna work. Y'all gonna be in my office. One of them's gonna be in my office. You might be in the hospital. So you talk about, and let's serve, you're smart. You sit down to any major decision, you sit down with your wife and you say, listen, what do you think? And you let her talk to you, get, you listen, because God has wired men and women differently. And I could do other series and talk about that. So your wife's going to see things that you're not going to see. You need to hear it. Women are more in touch with their feelings most of the time. Men are more systematic. See bigger picture. Women see details. You're seeing the big picture. You're ready to pull the trigger. And she sees three details that you never thought through. You're going, oh, I didn't think about that. I didn't think about that. Ooh, that's a big one. I didn't think about that one. Maybe we need to back off of this. See, and so you listen, but here's what a godly woman will do. She'll give her input, you'll talk it through, but then she'll look at you and say, but honey, whatever you think, I'll trust you. Boy, that's, a and we're gonna talk about this next week, guys. That's a lot of responsibility. (laughs) Whew. Okay, so now i got to make a decision. That's been, Leah always said to me, we always we talk everything through, but Leah says to me, she said it now for 31 years, she said, I believe you're going to take care of me and the kids. I trust you, whatever you do. If it's a ministry decision, she said, I'll go with you wherever you want to go. I'll pack up in an instant, instant we'll move wherever you want because I'm going to trust you. Okay? So there's, there's leadership there. And so um, that's part of the intimacy. Um, you don't say our money, you say our money, you say our money, those kind of things. And by the way, when it says that a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and maybe you have a little subnote in your Bible, uh, like mine said, cling to his wife, literally in the Hebrew, it means to be glued to your wife. There, there's the image of the permanence till death do us part. Be glued to your wife. Okay, that's that covenant relationship again. So it means to be It also means, I mean, listen to this, it also means to pursue hard after her. So let me just say this. Um, your goal daily, sir, is to stay tight with your wife and to keep courting her even after you're married. So I'm gonna give you a one liner, okay? This is this is a Chris line. She's not a conquest. She's your lifelong adventure. Dang, am Pastor, that is so good. Oh, my Lord. Just, can you say that again so I can write it down? I'll be happy to. She is not your conquest. She is your lifelong adventure. Okay, to be intimate with. All right, so I want to close with this. Um, I want to examine the foundation for marriage, and there's some very rich things here. We go to verse 25, and this is the one that's, you know, like, wow. It says, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now, I know you're like me it is difficult to try to imagine two grown people running around in a, in a garden of Eden with no clothes on <laughs> now how many of you know that if God puts something in the Bible things are sometimes descriptive but sometimes there are deeper meanings there are principles behind things I think God put the, he didn't have to tell us that you know that's like we well, you got God TMI TMI could you just leave 25 out could we just stop that chapter 24? TMI. Well, it's there for a reason. And I'm going to show you the reason. It's not just about being unclothed. Listen to me now. The Garden of Eden was their home. Not just a house. It was, the whole thing was their home. So we're getting a picture of how you are to relate to one another's husband and wife within the marriage and within the home. They were both naked. That means they were completely open with one another. They were completely honest and they were completely transparent with one another. Okay? It's all out. It's there. You're just, you know, you see me as I am. There's nothing to hide. By the way, isn't it interesting that when sin comes in, what's the first thing they do? They try to cover themselves up. Not just from God, but from each other. And that's why when you allow sin in a marriage, what's the first thing you do? You cover it up. You don't want your wife to know what you've been looking at. You don't want your husband to know what you did. By the way, if you want to cover it up, that's when you confess it, repent of it, and let the blood cover it. And then that takes care of everything. You should be able to tell each other anything. Um, I tell couples all the time, marry your best friend. I don't know why, but y'all got all tore out of frame because of me talking about ooey-gooey love last week. I don't know why. <laughs> ooey-gooey. Y'all got to have ooey-gooey. Now, if you don't have ooey-gooey with her, don't marry her. I mean, you got to have some ooey-gooey love there, right? But you can't you can't sustain a marriage on ooey-gooey love. There's got to be something deeper. And what I tell people is marry your best friend. So Leah is, Leah and I, uh, let me just tell you a story. So I'm going to tell you a story. We got time. So when I went to East Coast and I'm checking out all the babes because I'm the new guy on campus because I'm a transfer, I saw Leah and I went, hey. She, she, I'm attracted to her. And so I, I worked up my nerve and I asked her out. And she agreed. Y'all going to like this. You know where I took her? Western Sizzling. <laughs> I spent in the big bucks. Western Sizzling Steakhouse. Yeah. So I took her to Western Sizzling and we went out to eat. We sat out. It was horrible, <laughs> horrible. It was awkward. It was weird. We couldn't talk. It was just, oh, I couldn't wait for that thing to be over. and She couldn't either. And I got her back to the campus. I'm like, thank you, Jesus, that's over. What did I see in that woman? And that was it. And for a year, year and a half, whatever, we had nothing to do with each other. Matter of fact, she got with another guy and was engaged. And she just walked out of the room. She's been engaged like 12 times, but don't let her hear me say that because right now she throws something at me. It's not true, but that's my joke with her. She's been engaged like 12 times, but it's not true. A microphone's gonna come flying out of that door, <laughs> hit me in the back of the head. And so, and so but she did, she got engaged to a wonderful guy named Ron. And, uh, and so, I, you know, I thought, well, that's it. But I'll tell you what we did. And I, I, was a, I was, you know, chivalry still remains. I was a gentleman. I was not gonna date her. I was not gonna try to do that underhanded thing. Wouldn't do it. Wouldn't do it. Hope maybe they'd break it because I, st- I started getting interested in her again. So what we did and it was very plutonic, uh, and this is amazing because Leah's not a morning person, but somehow she got out of bed and we went to McDonald's and we'd go eat breakfast, and we'd do that just every month before, before our classes. And so we would just hang out and talk. So now we're just hanging out and talking as friends, and we did this just week after week after week. And the more we did it, we became really really close friends, and so we became best friends. And then what happened is the longer we kept doing it, and the next thing that happens, is we started falling in love. And I started having feelings for her. And she started having feelings for me. And then Ron picked up on it. And then they had a big fight and he broke up with her. And uh, I found out in my dorm. As soon as I did, I called Leah and asked her out on a date. <laughs> yep. Teach y'all how to do it. (laughs) I married my best friend. You ought to marry your best friend. Um the best thing you can do is marry your best friend because with that person, you're you're open and honest, you can tell them anything. You ever notice your best friend you can tell them anything? You share your dreams, your hurts, your fears, your concerns, your joys, your successes, your achievements. When something good happens, first thing I do is I don't care if Leah's at work. I don't care where she's at. She's getting her nails done. She hates that because she don't want to hold the phone. I'll call her. Guess what happened? Honey, I'm getting my nails done. I don't care. I got to tell you. I got to tell somebody. You're my best friend. I got to tell you. Y- y'all know what I'm talking about? Isn't that wonderful? That's one of the best things about being married. Is you have that best friend. Is just the person you could share anything good with. And if something bad's happened, you want somebody's shoulder to cry on. You want somebody that loves you unconditionally. And says, "Honey, it'll be okay. It'll be all right. We're gonna get through this. We're gonna get through this together." You're going to do it. Ladies, by the way, you don't know the power. You know, you the power of men, we don't know the power of words. Ladies, you don't know the power of touch. We're tough men. We're tough. And you have no idea when you just touch us what it does. The, everything in us drops. Am I right, guys? See, we won't tell you this because we're too tough to tell you. But when you touch us, everything drops. That's the power you have of touch. That's why you should touch your husband. Hold his hand. But then the power of your words, it'll close a woman's spirit, it open it. Honey, you look good. You look beautiful. Is that a new dress? You look as lovely today as the day I married you. You're my bride. See, you, the power of your words affirm her and lift her up. Just some things to help you today. Um, Leah's favorite song is I Love You Just The Way You Are. Don't go changing to try to please me. You know what I'm talking about? I love you just the way you are. That's her favorite song. Because in her eyes, that's the way it was. She didn't want me to change her. Your job is not to change them. Your your job is to love your spouse just the way they are. And the Bible says they were not ashamed. Now listen to me. This is important. There was no rejection, no condemnation between Adam and Eve. Instead, there was total affirmation. You remember last Sunday I told you to focus on the positives and not the negatives? you got to focus on the positives. And the day in your marriage, you're so consumed with the negatives that you don't have any more positives it gives your spouse. As you reach the point of disrespect, total disrespect, and your marriage is in serious trouble. I had a couple sitting in my office one time. They don't go here. It's been many, many years ago. They were sitting in my office. I used to do marital counseling. I quit doing it because I'm not called to do marital counseling. I'll refer you to someone. But at that time, I was doing marital counseling. And they sat in the office, and they had some issues, and they were sharing each other. But, boy, she was lighting him up. She was just tearing him down. It was embarrassing. She had lost all respect for her husband, and it was showing. When she finished, I looked at her and said, let me ask you something. I said, just off the, you know, just kind of, do you love me as your pastor? She said, absolutely. I said, do you respect me? Oh, she said, Pastor, I have nothing but total respect for you and my pastor. And I said, so you wouldn't say anything mean to me, would you? She said, never. In a million years, I wouldn't even think about it. I said, well, that's interesting. I said, because you and I just have a casual pastoral relationship. I said, but that guy's a love of your life. And I said, you talk to him like you'd never talk to me. You treat me better than you do him. And her eyes got big and her jaw dropped and the light bulb came on and she dropped her head and she said, I'm so sorry, you're exactly right. I said, you've lost respect for him. And I looked at him and I said, you're not innocent either. I said, if you want to pull this thing out, you're going to to stop focusing on the negatives and go back to what brought you together in love and focus on the positives and start loving each other and forgiving each other for the other things and move. And I said, if you can, you can bring this marriage back out. So I'm going to say this to you. Disrespect is a sign that you are ashamed of your spouse, but in the wrong way. So it's not healthy. I believe verse 25 is best explained this way. Adam and Eve completely trusted each other. Trust is the foundation of all relationships, and it is the foundation of a successful marriage. So if you're here today and you're not married, listen, trust is important. Trust is vital because it creates the perfect context for vulnerability. When you dated, you had masks on. You kept your guard up, but boy, hopefully at some point you let those down before you got married, but as Excuse me, especially after you get married, all the masks come down, all the guards come down. It's transparency. And this means you set ground rules. We will not target each other's weaknesses for meanness or when we are arguing. Because all that does is just close each other's spirit. And if you do it long enough, it'll crush a spirit. The rule is we will care and we will understand and we will protect each other. Distrust closes your spirit while trust opens your spirit by the way this is interesting the old testament hebrew word for trust is careless careless and here's what that how that translates to marriage is that i am so trusting of you that i don't have to keep you under my thumb and watch your every move and monitor everywhere you go and everything you do like you're a little gerbil in a cage see that's your insecurities you got the issues okay I trust you so much, I'm going to be careless about our relationship. I don't have to worry about where you are, what you're doing, because I trust you. See, that's why the Hebrew word for trust is careless. God told me, if I ever had two things, you have to understand how God deals with me. He burns things into my skull, and they won't go away all week. Here's what God said to me. There are two words I want you to tell this congregation. Here are the two words, integrity and honesty. Integrity and honesty. Integrity has to do with your character and who you are, but honesty has to do with what you say and do. And so, if you trust somebody, if you're trustworthy, then that is a reflection of your integrity. You shouldn't have to worry about where they are and what they're doing because they're a person. You have somebody. Of, if they have integrity, you can be careless with them. I don't know where you are. I don't know where you are. You'll be back home. I know what you're doing. You're not doing anything jeopardizing, detrimental to our marriage because I trust you. We love each other. See, you can be careless. And then honesty says, when I get home and you say, just where were you? Oh, I, well, I had to work late. And, and, and the person's honest with them. I had to work late. I should have called you. I got so wrapped up. You're right. I should, next time I'll call you. See what I mean? It, there's honesty and integrity. Those are the foundations of marriage. Um, You don't spy on your spouse. You don't check on him every five minutes. You trust him because your job is to protect that trust and not let anything erode it. I want you to stand with me and I want everybody in the house to come to the altar if you would. I'd like to close down here. I'm gonna keep talking while you come. John Townsend is with Focus on the Family. Y'all ever heard of that? He tells a story of a couple that he counseled they experienced a trust crisis in their marriage. The husband was a flirt. He'd flirt with the waitress. He'd flirt with his coworkers. They'd get with the, the husband and wife's mutual friends. He'd flirt with their mutual friends. And he just thought it was, he didn't think much about it. He's just a flirt. What he didn't know was that continual action was making his wife feel lonely and scared to death. And so in counseling, she finally told him that. And he looked, and his jaw dropped, and he was clueless. I told you women last week, we men can be dumb sometimes. We're just clueless sometimes, I'm telling you. I think the weaker creature woman may be the wiser creature, you know. Y'all gets, y'all smarter than us. And he looked at her, and, he, and it hit him, what he was doing. And he said, I am so sorry. And, and from that day, he, t- John Townsend said he was a changed man. He said, I promise you, I will not do that. And he said, if I, you ever catch me doing that again he said call me out on it immediately right then and there and I will stop now what was he doing he was confronting the issue they had a trust breakdown trust is the foundation of a successful marriage he confronted the issue he confessed it he held himself accountable and he restored the trust in her and from that day on it was not an issue ever again because they dealt with it that's why I told you last week confrontation and forgiveness is necessary so that you can maintain the trust level in the relationship. Here's what I want to do. If your spouse is here, you're with your spouse, I want you to just take her by the hand. Okay, so if everybody that's not married, don't have a spouse, it's okay, don't worry about it. But otherwise, I want you to take your spouse by the hand. And if there's anything that I prayed, I preached, we're going to pray. Get the words out. We're going to pray, but if there's anything that I preached today that applies to you, anything that just fits you. Maybe it was the trust thing or the distrust or the disrespect or maybe it's just, Pastor, I want. I just want to pray that all of these principles, I'm going to pray that my husband and I live by these principles and the foundation will always be stronger in a marriage. You have no idea how many times that I pray for y'all. And I'll cry out to God, God, help our marriages and our church to be strong. Help every husband and wife to be strong in the Lord and strong in their marriage and love each other because the devil's attacking marriages. And if he can destroy the marriage, then he destroys the home and he destroys the church. And so right now, I want you to just begin. Now you say, well, Pastor, I don't have a, I'm not, I don't have a spouse. I don't. Why don't you just pray that if you're wanting a spouse, why don't you pray, God, connect me with that special someone. And if, you've, if you're a widow or you're divorced, the, the problem doing things like this, uh, this, is, this is the pastor side of me. Everybody else is saying, we're Pastor, we're enjoying this. I had a man who was married to a woman 69 years, came up in the first service. He was just crying and weeping because he's a widower and he still misses his wife. And he's just bragging on her and the kind of woman she was and how they complimented each other. And he misses her so much. And I told him, I said, calling him by name. I said, I'm sorry. I said, I know for, for you a message like this, it hurts. It hurts, okay? But you know what? God can heal the hurt. And you can be someone who, if you had a wonderful marriage in your spouse, you can be an intercessor to say, oh oh God, you bless me. Now I pray for the younger generation. God, help them to have what I had. So let's just pray together. Father, thank you today for your word. Your word will will not return void. And I'm done. I'm gonna get out of the way, God, except just lead in prayer. I pray that Holy Spirit right now, you'll touch people and meet them at their points of needs. Whatever they need from you, touch them right now. God, if there are marital issues, touch them right now and help them. Help them to communicate and talk. Help them to share. Help us to change. God, help us to do what we need to do, God, and make the changes. And, and God, live by these principles. These are divine principles that we got. We get straight from the first marriage. It is, it's the precedent. It, it's, the, it's the one that sets the tone for everything else. And so God, help us, I pray, to live by these principles. And Lord, to always maintain the trust and be open. Help us to be people of integrity honesty. And if that's, if that's an issue, God, then that's a hard issue. We need to get in the altar and pray ourselves and pray through. We're the ones that need to pray. God, help me, help me to be careless with my trust and to trust my spouse. And then me in turn, I'm going to never give my spouse a reason to to not trust me. And so we just thank you today. I pray blessing upon every marriage. I pray blessing upon every relationship. I pray blessing upon those who desire to be married That God, you'll connect them with the right person and they'll walk in faith and trust and go by your principles, God, and you'll you'll bring the right person into their life. I pray for widows and divorcees today who are hurting, God, but I know, God, that you can restore you can heal you can help, and even if the circumstance is right, bring somebody into their life. I just pray blessing upon all our church today. Thank you, Lord, for these principles. The the word of God applies to every area of life, and it it is a lamp into our feet and a light to our pathway, and we're so glad. And, Father, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.